0: In the weeks following Easter we've been exploring together, uh, we started last week, the difference the risen Jesus makes to life. And really what we're doing uh, last week, this week and next week as well is we're asking the question, is life with Jesus any different to life without him? Does it actually make a difference that Jesus rose from the dead and that we believe that, that we know it? Last week we began that by looking at Luke 24, 34 and seeing that great moment when that couple walking on the road to Emmaus whose hopes were dashed, who'd been following Jesus and had seen him crucified, discovered that he had risen from the dead. That great moment as they raced back to tell the others, it is true, the Lord has risen. This week we continue to explore that and to ask, does it actually make a difference to our lives, the nitty gritty of our lives, the small details? Is it, is it anything more than just a, a big picture reality? Last week we saw for the couple it made a huge difference. Their dashed hopes, uh, their expectations that had, uh, that had been not fulfilled were at last fulfilled, that their hopes were delivered and even uh, broadened by the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. And that is true for us as well. If Jesus has risen from the dead and it is true as Luke 24 says then it means that he and not I am king of this world. He is king, he is in charge and it means that no aspect of my life, not even the small details, is untouched by his lordship. Everything changes. If he has risen from the dead, if he has been enthroned king of this world then everything I do is under that king. But I suspect it's easy for us, even for someone who knows that Jesus is Lord, to assume that most of our lives is actually unaffected by that uh, truth. Yes, it's true in the big picture. We know it's true and it's of great comfort. But does it actually change the small details? Things like our working lives, things like the way we relate to each other, does it actually make a difference if you are heading off to work tomorrow? does Does it change anything that Jesus has risen from the dead? And today we're going to explore that it makes a huge difference. We're going to see that uh, through the words of a very old sermon, some 3,000 years old. We're going to look at the first few chapters of Ecclesiastes and it's worth turning to that now if you haven't got it open, page 668 of the Church Bibles, page 668, Ecclesiastes. We're going to use uh, this part of God's word to see that Uh, the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead has changed everything for us in terms of the way we go about working, the way we go about labouring, toiling in this world. And just while you're finding that page, let me say a couple of things by way of background about this book. As I said, it was written some 3,000 years ago and Ecclesiastes, the title of the book, is a Greek translation of a Hebrew word. I'm not very good at Hebrew but I'm going to give it a go. If there's any Hebrew scholars, you can tell me how I went. It's Koheleth. Is the word that's been translated into Ecclesiastes, and really what it means is where we get the word ecclesia from—the idea of church. It means to gather people together, and so Ecclesiastes really is referring to the one who does that. He has gathered people together to say something. He is the preacher. Now, the one who's gathered these people together, the nation of Israel, as we see in this in this book, is told—we're told in verse twelve—is king over Israel. It's the king who has gathered his nation together and we're told in the very first verse that he is the son of David. And so I'm taking it that this is Solomon who is speaking. He is the one who has gathered his nation and really the whole world to hear something that he thinks is of deep importance. And what Solomon does for us in the first two chapters of this old sermon is he reflects on an issue that is deeply relevant for us, the whole issue of our work, what we do with our lives, what we labour towards. And the phrase that he uses again and again in these chapters is our labour under the sun. That's how he describes our work. And I don't know about you, but I think the whole concept of our work, what we do, is pretty much the defining characteristic of the modern human. It's one of the first questions we ask each other when we first meet someone. What do you do? And uh, by what do you do we mean what's your job, what's your occupation, what do you fill your time with? And most of us have been asked that question so often that we've got our answer perfectly worked out. You know, I'm in sales, I work for the government or if uh, you're a member of this church, generally the answer is I'm a doctor. (laughs) Seems to be the answer that I've got most often when I ask the question. And so we know our answer, we've worked it out but let me ask you another question. What if uh, someone asks you that question again? What do you do And and you reel out your answer that you've worked out exactly what to say and you're describing a little bit about what you do And they say, ah, well that's utterly meaningless and and futile exercise, isn't it? Your job is a complete waste of time. How are you going to respond? You are wasting your life. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be deeply offended if someone said that to me. I mean, is it really the case that uh, when we get up tomorrow, those of us who are working tomorrow, that, that the task that we have in front of us is completely futile? But it's like chasing the wind. The the book says, like trying to catch the wind, but it just keeps getting through our hands. There's nothing to it. Well, that's Solomon's contention. Let's let's have a look. Verse three, he asks the question for us. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils at under the sun? What's the point? He says. And by under the sun I think what he's saying uh, as we go on is he's saying well if you take God out of the picture, if you think you're just working and that's all there is, there's nothing more than just the sun above you, that's as big as things get, what's the point? Why would you work so hard? And What Solomon wants us to do is he wants us to take a step back from the rush of working life where one day sort of falls into another and say why bother? Is there an answer to that question? When we get up tomorrow and there's, there's some task ahead of us, whatever it is, is there something we can grab hold of, something we can point to and say, that's why all this effort is worthwhile. This is why I do it. Well, Solomon says, no, seriously, what is the payoff? What's the gain from my work? All the study, all the hours, all the sweat, the stress, the flack, the pressure, what's the bottom line? Well, in verses 4 to 11 of chapter 1, he gives us a series of reasons Why there is no gain. The word he uses, we see it first uh, in this chapter, is the word havel, and it's used some 38 times in this book, and it means meaningless, futile, it's like the wind. The first reason he gives that our working life is like that, verses 4 to 7, is he says our working life is short lived and pointless, it's going nowhere. I mean, perhaps we could say about our, our work, if our it's we are heading somewhere, we have a goal in mind. I have a task. Maybe uh, tomorrow, whatever it is that you you will fill your day with tomorrow. You say I have a series of tasks that I'm going to fulfil. Surely I'm getting somewhere, or maybe over a whole lifetime, you see that you're moving in a direction, you're achieving things. Well, in verses four to seven, Solomon says he asks us: Is that really the way our world is set up? Have a look at our world. It's just not like that. It's not all heading in a direction, always moving forward, always achieving things. Our world is going nowhere and nowhere slowly. The sun rises, the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises. The same goes for the wind, verse 6. The same goes for the streams, verse 7. The whole thing is set up to just go round and round and round in circles. And Solomon says our working life is no different. You know, the, the image here is almost like a, one of those, uh, a mouse on a, on a wheel, a treadmill, and it's powering, it's working very hard, but if you step back, you see it's not getting anywhere, really. But making it even worse, you see there in verse 4, is that the world in which we work in, this sphere in which we work in, is far more lasting than even we are. The earth remains and we... Just come and go. The mouse on the wheel is replaced but the wheel keeps spinning. Solomon goes on in verse 8. and He says, if, if you're labouring just under the sun, if you take God out of it, here's another reason why it is in vain. In the end it is tiring and unsatisfying. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, he says. The eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear is full of hearing. Solomon saying work, it's exhausting, it's tiring stuff and if you look back to verse 4 to 7, if it's not going anywhere, why would you do that? And we know that's true, isn't it? Work is hard work, it's exhausting. You get to the end of a day, the end of a week and you sort of collapse over the line. I was thinking about that this week and there's all sorts of different things that we do, even those who don't work full time, whatever it might be. Our life is exhausting. I, I was reflecting on Liz, my wife's, Average week and her year so far, and I, I think the more I think about it, the more exhausting I re- see how it is. This year, she has changed more than 1,100 nappies, and that rate has gone down significantly since Finn uh, moved out of nappies. I've changed a few, I promise, <laughs> quite a few, but uh, there's always another one, isn't there? There's probably one right now at 50 Brooklyn's Crescent being changed. She's made more than 300 meals and is heading towards lunchtime. She slept more than seven hours and yet she's still tired. And if you you do the maths on how many days it's been this year, you'll realise why she's still tired if it's only 700. But you can look at that and you can say, yes, you're achieving something, but it's exhausting and it never ends. There's always more. And that's what Solomon's doing. He's ripping back the romanticism of work and he's saying, actually, it's just exhausting. And if it's not really getting anywhere, why would you do that? He goes on, another reason, verses 9 and 10, he says, our working life under the sun, we're not actually making anything new. I mean, surely that's not the case. I mean, isn't work like the Walt Whitman poem, the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. I've got something to contribute, I'm doing something. Well, Solomon says, my verse has already been written. I'm a cover band, a karaoke singer at best. There is nothing new Under the sun, he says. And finally, verse 11, he gives us another reason. He says, there is nothing significant, nothing that will be remembered about our labour under the sun. I don't know about you, but I'd hope that my work will be remembered. That it will stand the test of time. That those who follow me, will there will be some gain from what I do. There will be some lasting effect. But Solomon says, even the works of the great ones, even one like Solomon... The actual changes he made, the things he did, they disappear into time. The remembrance of men of old and even those who are yet to come, there is no remembrance by those who follow. And so there's Solomon's assessment of labour under the sun. There is no gain, it ends up being directionless, tiring, unsatisfying, unoriginal, and easily forgotten. Talk about bursting the bubble. Is that fair? I mean, is that really the case? I mean, perhaps we'd say, well, if Solomon had a job like mine, if he worked in the 21st century, then he wouldn't be so swift to say this. If he knew the gains that I know, then his tone would be different. And so, well, may we as workers say that this needs further investigation. I mean, of course there's gain. Why else would I bother? That's my gut reaction anyway. And we could probably go around this room and list a whole series of things that we say are gains from our labour. I'm worth something. My work is worth something. I contribute. I mean, that's why they pay me. But before we dismiss Solomon's assessment, remember he writes this as a worker, one who labours under the sun for gain. And to be honest, he works at a level most of us would only dream of. He's the king. If there was ever a man who would know if there was gain from working under the sun, he would be the one. And so what he does for us in chapter 2 is he says, well, let's test some of the gains, some of the things that we would say make work worthwhile. And so he goes through a a series of them like an experiment to see whether they live up to expectations. The first one in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2, he says, well, what about pleasure? You know, What about the enjoyment of working hard? And even the enjoyment, the pleasure we can have from working hard. You know, we, we make money and we can do things with it. And the whole concept of working for the weekend, you know, you work through the weekend, you think, you know, on Friday night I'm going to have a, a great meal with friends, I'm going to have great food, great conversation, great laughs. I mean, surely that makes it worthwhile, the pleasure we can have. Or seeing a good movie or an overseas holiday, you know, you think, two months' time I'm going here, and you, you work towards it. Surely that's gain. And there is joy in those things. But Solomon's question to us is, despite the joy that comes from pleasure, is that really the thing that you hang your hat on, that you say, this is what makes it all worthwhile? In verses 4 to 6 of chapter 2, he gives us another one. What about building something? Being able to show something for your labour? Perhaps we'd say, that's gain. I mean, I can build a house. Chip away at it, you know, save money over time and, and slowly build the dream home or, or buy the bigger home when another baby comes along or slowly redecorating a house with new furnishings. It, it's fun, isn't it? I mean, I don't even own a house and I love doing it. Uh, 50 Brooklyn's Crescent, I think we've changed the arrangement of the lounge room, the couches, the pictures, everything about 20 times since we've been here. Or Liz has got me to change it 20 times since we've been here and I love it. I'm not sure how that happened. Somehow over these uh, years of being married I went from someone who had no interest in soft furnishings and homewares to being deeply interested in it and I don't know how that happened but I I love it. And there is joy in that, you know, creating the perfect home. But again Solomon wants to ask, is that really the thing that you grab hold of and say, this, this couch is what it's all about? Because often the things that we, we work hard to build don't work out, do they? I think of my parents and I love my parents but they've they've bought this wonderful house a few years ago on the northern beaches of Sydney. Just you know, just an amazing location. Pool in the backyard, huge garden, rooms for everyone in the family. We've all left home. I'm on the other side of the world. No one lives in the house. Is that really what it's all about? Solomon goes on, verses 7 and 8, well, what about just acquiring things? That We work hard and we can buy things. Is it worth it? That's what Solomon says. You look at verse 7 and 8, see his impressive list of acquisitions. He says, have I really gained anything? You know, the classic he who dies with the most toys wins. Is that what life's about? We, we lie on our deathbed and we look at our things and we say, this is what's made it all worthwhile. Surely not, says Solomon. Well, verse 9, he gives us one final possible gain. He says, Well, what about reputation? What about being great in your field? World class. Well, he says, I become greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Muhammad Ali is probably the greatest boxer of all time, or at least he has the biggest reputation. And yet, hear his take on his amazing career. He says, It's just a job. Grass grows, birds fly, waves pound the sand. I beat people up. It's just a job. Even the great ones say that. Can reputation be really what it's all about? And so there's Solomon's experiment of trying to find gain from all his labour under the sun. And in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 2, he reminds us look, I've thrown my heart into this, I've given it everything, I've explored all of these things to the absolute end degree. And yet, verse 11, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. His experiment has failed. None of them have delivered real and lasting meaning, something worth holding on to. And yet, let's face it, all of them, or at least some of them, we're tempted to say, this is what I work for. Well Solomon has one last attempt to find gain from his labour. He says in verses 12 and 13, well what about wisdom? What about growing in knowledge and understanding, working towards that? And again there is gain in that it seems. It's better to be wise in the same way light is better than darkness he says. It protects us. We can work by it. We can understand things, see things clearer. But... Chapter 2, verse 14, and for me this is the absolute key. This is what renders all other gains before it meaningless. You see what he says? The wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks in darkness. It's better to be wise. But I came to realise that the same fate overtakes them both. The wise and the fool both die. The hardworking and the lazy man both die. Now, we can work hard, we can even enjoy working, find pleasure in it with what it affords us, build a great future, collect beautiful things, be well regarded, but death changes that, doesn't it? Now, think about all the gains that we've gone through. There is no way of living and working under the sun that death doesn't take away in an instant. And here we have the king speaking, and yet he looks and he says, The king and the commoner, the wise, the fool, they all die. And seeing this, he asked, why bother? When the only certain outcome is death. And we know this, don't we? We know that's the case, but it doesn't seem right. And we look at it and we go, it's it's all twisted, it's all broken. It's no wonder, he says in verse 17, I looked at it and I hated life. Hated it. It's no wonder that Jesus of Nazareth, as he stands at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, weeps with anger. It's not the way it should be. If you think for a moment of the events of this past week at Virginia Tech in the US, those 32 students killed. Why? Think of all the work that has gone into those lives. All the things that has led up to that moment, all taken away in an instant. Why? Solomon looks at life and he hated it. It's all broken. You know, Ecclesiastes is regarded as a negative book, and you can see why, can't you? It's one of those books we start to read and go, oh, maybe not this one. I mean, to focus on death seems a pretty negative thing to do. And so, what we do in our world is we'd rather say that life's a journey. It's all about the journey, not the destination. But I want to say, in the end, that is a completely negative philosophy, a philosophy of complete despair. A life we live where we have no idea where we're going. You know, it's like being on a train somewhere. We might be heading to Auschwitz or we might be heading to the south of France for a holiday, but we're not even going to ask the question. I'm just going to enjoy the buffet and the food carriage and the view. Well, after death has done its work, our journey, our life's work, is meaningless. How do we respond? Well, as we come to consider our response, let me remind you again of that amazing testimony. In Luke 24 verse 34, the wonderful declaration, it is true, the Lord has risen. You see, Solomon in chapter 2 verse 14 laments that human destiny is fixed, that we all die, but here with news of Jesus' resurrection we have one who has changed forever, the destiny of humanity. Here at last we have the possibility that life is not meaningless, That there is a bigger perspective than just working and living under the sun. That we work under heaven and the king of heaven, the risen Jesus. And it means that he is Lord and that he has complete right to judge the way I live and work under the sun and under heaven. So given this I think there are two ways to live in this world and work in this world. You can work as if it's not true, that he has not risen from the dead And so you continue to labour under the sun, to live and work in a world where you are king. There is nothing bigger or more important than you under the sun. You are the master of your own destiny. You work hard and achieve the fruit of that labour. But in the end, those who live under the sun come under the judgment of heaven. Because it is true, the Lord has risen and his judgment on a life lived in rebellion to his lordship is death, and it renders all our work meaningless. Or you can believe it is true, know that it is true that the Lord has risen. And as someone who knows and trusts the risen Jesus as Lord, I think it's possible to look at the testimony of these two chapters, Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, and rejoice. Do you believe that? Well, let me give you three big reasons why. If you are someone who knows and trusts in the risen Jesus, then you know that everything under the sun will be redeemed. Absolutely everything. The other reading we had today, Romans 8, 20-25 says, because we live in a world that has rejected its God, that he has subjected that world to, the word, literal word is futility. We live in a world that is enslaved to futility and hence we have Solomon's assessment It's no wonder that work under the sun is futile but we also know from Romans 8 that the risen Jesus will redeem all these things, liberate them it says, even creation. And so all creation groans and longs for that day and those of us who know the risen Jesus should groan along with creation, long for the day when he will redeem meaning to this world second reason is that you and I know that Solomon's declaration that there is nothing new under the sun is no longer true. There is something new under the sun. You, as a believer in Jesus, are new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Those of us who are in Christ have a new and living hope, says 1 Peter 1. And we look forward to the day that Revelation 21 tells us that our Lord will make all things new. And finally, and perhaps most importantly for our reflection on our working lives this morning, you know that your work, your labour is not in vain. Ecclesiastes 2:24 to 26 says to us, even the work we do in this world, the work with our hands, the work you will do tomorrow is a gift from God. It's to be taken with humility and rejoiced in it. There is great joy in our work and we've seen that as we've gone through. But we know that that's just the beginning of the job, the work that we have been given. We know we have a far more important occupation. Philippians chapter 3 tells us that our work as Christians is to work out our salvation, to work at knowing Jesus, which Paul says all else is a loss compared to. Every minute you spend getting to know Jesus better is labour, not in vain. And finally, we are told that if we work for the King, if we work for Jesus, every ounce of energy we pour into that is well spent, not in vain. Working for a kingdom that will last forever, for the glory of that King, working for the expansion of that kingdom as we see forgiveness and hope go into this world. So let me ask you, that next time someone asks you that question, what do you do? If you are someone who trusts in Jesus as Lord, try this. What do I do? I'm in the business of making all things new. That's what I do. Every time I promote the Gospel at work, every time I promote it amongst my fellow believers, every time I promote it at home, every time I pray for it to go forward, I'm in the business of watching God make all things new. And that Is never in vain. Paul at the end of Corinthians 15, reflecting on the wonderful news of the resurrection of Jesus, concludes with this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray.